Unfortunately, Major League Baseball has let their fans down. And the question is, how do they fix this? How do we get games played? And what's the long-term ramifications? Because we know as of right now, there is no deal and Major League Baseball will not start on time. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And, Sarah, we knew that this was likely coming. And, in fact, uh, we, we sat on air yesterday and said, hey, let's keep an eye on it. Maybe they can get something done. You made a great point that as the negotiations went later into the evening, maybe it would mean that they were close. I woke up this morning to see you know, all of our reporters tweeting early, thinking, okay, they're back at it. Maybe we can get it done. Major League Baseball delivered what they say is their final proposal delivered before 4 p.m. Uh, that had some give in it, but not enough as the Major League Baseball Players Association rejected that proposal. There is no deal, and the first two series of the season have now been canceled. Yeah, I will say that those in the know argue that they were never close, that the folks who are like like me last night, positing that if they went late, it might mean that they were near each other. It never did. That the whole deadline spur action thing um, allowed them to argue that they did their best. But what we know is that it took, you know, months before they even got to the tables to offer up another solution. So this is Major League Baseball posturing in the public for um, – people to, to blame players for something that's been wholly done by owners. They are the ones who forced this lockout. They are the ones who are the reason spring training games are not happening. And ultimately now with the cancellation of the first two series of the season, they are the ones who are causing regular season games to be canceled. Again, they waited for a very long time, 43 days to present the union its next offer when they called the, quote, defensive lockout official on December 2nd. They they said they hoped a lockout would jumpstart negotiations, and then they waited 43 days to get back with an offer. This is all BS, Fitz. We know that. In the same way that when we heard Rob Manfred speak today, he said, quote, the last five years were difficult from a revenue perspective. And what we know is that in 2019, which was the last season before the pandemic, uh, Forbes says MLB revenues jumped for a 17th straight year to a record $10.7 billion. So while they can claim biblical losses and they can argue that they've extended the olive branch and the players union didn't accept it, it is all posturing to try to continue to keep their feet on the throats of players that they fleeced four or five years ago and are trying to fleece again. I mean, think about the the fact that games have now been canceled for March 31st. Like, I, I mean, I don't want to oversimplify things, but I keep looking at the calendar, and last time I checked, today's March 1st. You, you're you telling me that today had to be the drop-dead day? Like, if a deal's done tomorrow, you couldn't get some of these games played? Like, all of this feels like it is just more and more of the owners saying, this is what we're going to do, and you can't do a damn thing about it. And now, as we see the schedule drop today from 162 games to what would likely be 156 games at most, they're also letting players know, hey, you won't be paid for missed games. I mean, this feels like, as we've talked about from the outset of this, Sarah, this feels like the owners are coming in and saying, hey, I know the one thing that's going to make you bend, and that's losing checks. So let's just make sure today that we start ensuring that you're not mm-hmm. going to get all your money, which right. will make you suddenly cave faster. Like, that's the only way I can make sense of canceling games right now. Well, it's it's a timeline, fits right? Because uh, the, the players back to New York, which means they can't start negotiating until X day, which means they need X amount of days officially for spring training so the players are ready and won't be injured, which means they couldn't start opening day until X day. So it is 
it is the the results of their own doing, but it has been calculated by time required to prep. Um, and that part I I, I think is legitimate. If and, you look, but that's the, the, but that's a part that for me, like I, you know, I'll go back to obviously what do I know? Like I'm not a professional athlete. I'm not going to pretend to be. Uh, but some of the baseball players uh, that that I follow on social media, I know like Rob Dibble is a great example in Connecticut. I mean he. He tweeted out earlier that, you know, this is stupid. You can agree on a deal by this weekend and start the season on time. Like, I understand what you're saying. There has to be a time frame in place. But I, I still think that even with that time frame in place, it's absurd to me to think that today was the day that they had to cancel games that are still 30 days away. Uh, to me, it's it's probably about, and I don't know this for sure, it's probably collectively bargained. Because while there are plenty of players that have been actively working out and feel ready to go, you cannot guarantee or ask them to if you have them in currently a lockout. Right. If you are not currently employing them and all of that, you can't then presume that they will be ready to play without the required number of days before the game. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. It, you know, worth noting the fans lose out on this. It, it has a tremendous effect on um, pr- public perception. The the concession workers and ticket takers and ushers and all the other people who are associated with this. I've had people here in Arizona already tell me the incredible loss to the economy at the Cactus League and at the Grapefruit League of people who know that when spring comes around, these games and these players and every and the fans are all coming to town. That's lost. And Molly Knight pointed out on Twitter that the health care for some of the concession workers is tied often to X number of games per month worked. So mm. if you're not getting your health care because you are incapable of working enough games because they don't exist, add that to the list, right? And Fitz, I think, you know, for those who are still sort of not 100% certain of all of the things that are in play here uh on, on february 28th two days ago jeff passan kind of preemptively wrote uh, a, a, a definitive story as to as to why things were going to get canceled and then why he anticipated it and he just sums up so much of it so well um and a lot of it in the end amounts to a system that incentivizes losing for teams which then slashes payroll because they can make so much money even without winning which then makes the middle class of players who are looking for money via free agency lower and lower their salaries because they're looking around and there's only so many teams actually trying to win and vying for their services and offering them competitive money. And the the way that the league has convinced the public and others that their quote-unquote you know, CBT isn't a salary cap when they're using it as such with no salary floor is the biggest issue. And and that's not one that feels like they're going to move on. And they're hoping that the players have to give up on that because to your point, the players are the ones who will more quickly see that their bank account is not getting any money. The interesting thing to me is that so often these conversations, instead of saying millionaires versus billionaires, I like to think that usually in these negotiations is short-term versus long-term. So for players, you have a short-term amount of time to make money. What's interesting to me is the more I watch the owners' stance in this, the more I feel like even the owners are only thinking short-term. They don't care long-term because so much of what we've talked about is the growth of the game being the one thing that, that stands to suffer the most, the opportunity to figure out how to market to casual fans and younger fans. And that all seems to be something that, frankly, Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball don't really give a damn about. And if that's the case, then it feels like now you have short-term versus short-term negotiations for some people that, that have a short-time amount of money to make their money on both sides. And it, it makes this really unprecedented to me because I can't figure out exactly what the Major League Baseball owner's logic is if they're not genuinely worried about the future of the game. And if they were worried about the future of the game, they wouldn't have put themselves in this pickle. 
Yeah, I sort of agree with you. I mean, I think obviously for them continuing the path that they're on, uh, record revenue, record team valuations, player salaries going down for four straight years. Like in in the moment and in the very near future, it's very successful for them. But um, to your point, and that's something that Jeff Passon points out in the article that I suggested uh, people read, is that they are blind to the issues that need to be dealt with and the communication with the players and everybody involved in the game that should be ongoing to try to address those issues with the game that are resulting in losing fans. To your point also about the players, uh, according to Princeton Review, the average MLB career is 2.7 years. So, um, you know, if you're trying to figure out uh, how how you can squeeze players because they worry about uh, the, the loss of game checks, that's a big part of it. Uh, really quickly, Tim Kirchner, our ESPN MLB analyst, was on SportsCenter and had this to say about um, the big picture concern for baseball that you just referenced. I'm really concerned about the game long term. I mean, coming into this offseason, baseball was in a really bad spot. Attendance is down. Ratings is, are down. Interest is down in the game. I love the game more than anyone, but people out there don't love baseball like they did, say, 20 years ago. And now we're looking at a potential long lockout that could cancel a whole bunch of games. Two months ago, I had a source tell me, look, the owners are going to do what they want to do. And if they play 140 games, they're going to be fine with that. We're going to start on May the 1st. That's what I was told two months ago by someone who kind of knows. Well, now we're to the point where if we play May the 1st, we have to be happy about that. Mm. This is not going to get easier. It's going to get more difficult, and we're only going to keep breaking it down. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. We'll get back to everything happening with Major League Baseball in just a little bit with the guest that's there to know what's going on. But coming up next is a new MVP candidate emerging in the NBA. We'll tell you. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. 92.9 92.9 ESPN Memphis on the call. Check out the Jason and John show. One of my favorites. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're going to get right into some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And I'm telling you right now, I'm not sure there's a more exciting player that you have to sit down and watch every single night than John Morant with the Memphis Grizzlies. And you saw it last night on a massive 52-point night. I don't know what was more impressive, the 52 points or the fact that about every eight minutes it felt like Twitter was blowing up with some new incredible highlight. Oh, my God, I can't believe John Morant did that moment. And now the Grizz are sitting with the three seed in the West, have the opportunity to move up, and they have an electrifying star we can't stop talking about. Sarah, I am pumped for John Morant. Me too, and at the same time, it's been a real whirlwind for Jakob Pertl this week. I mean, first, <laughs> we're real excited that he's got his own version of Wordle called Pertl. Oh, and, amazing. you know, it's taking the NBA fans by storm. And then a day later, he is just getting absolutely yammed on. And it is a highlight to be paired with the other incredible highlight of Ja making that shot falling out of bounds on the incredible length of the court pass. I am here for Ja fever. So I want to start by saying that anything that happens during the rest of this segment involving young players or MVP odds. I just want to start by saying there's absolutely no hateration in this mm. dancery that is happening. I'm starting with that because Ja is the best ticket in town. He is so fun to watch. He is so easy to root for. Even his social media game is strong, right? His interactions with AI, you know, he is just doing things for Memphis and and frankly just for NBA, you know, that that's always looking for the the, the recent hottest content that I am over the moon about 
We'll wait on the rest of the stuff I have to say. Oh, oh okay. Well, I just want don't... to keep us high on Jaw for now before I say a couple things that are going to get people all uh, bunched in their panties and mementchies. Uh, if you don't, well, that is like all you have to do is say sneeze, and that happens in your mentions. I don't know <laughs> how fair. that happens. That's uh, fair. If you don't believe us on the jaw of hype train, then maybe you'll believe Tim Legler, ESPN NBA analyst, when he said this on Get Up about Jaw. What you're seeing right now is a combination of some of the best slightly built guards in the history of this league. I mean, he combines all of those guys in one package. He's got the relentlessness of an Allen Iverson, he's got the body control and finishing ability of a Kyrie Irving. Um, he's got a swagger about him that gives that team so much confidence, Greeny. And right now, I'd say John Morant is probably at the top of the list in terms of must-see TV. If he's playing and you've got league pass, you better be checking out John Morant because it's very likely you're going to see something that you haven't seen at all this season. Which uh, We're going to ask you guys on social media if you could start an NBA franchise with any player under 25. Who you taking? That's Sarah Spain, that's Jason Fitz. We'll, uh, we'll get it out there. Luka Doncic comes to mind for a lot of us at 22 years old. And in fairness, it was right about now, a year ago, that everybody was freaking out, myself included, about Trey Young and his greatness. He's only 23. So I'll admit, Sarah, fully admit that I'm being prisoner of the moment. But, man, it's hard for me not to go like Ja VP, MV Ja. Is that how we oh, do this? Oh, God. Like, Both terrible. Keep workshopping. So uh, okay. Well, you know, <laughs> sometimes she's got to be great. Like, MVP all day, Ja Morant, right? Here's where I start uh, to get uh, a poor little cold water on what's a very hot fire. I, again, love Jaw. This is so fun. I think this is recency bias, Fitz, uh, for a couple reasons. One, if you look statistically, Embiid's traditional stats are better in almost every single category. He leads the league in points per game. He's only two assists per game behind a primary ball handler. He shoots better from deep. He shoots better from the free throw line than a point guard. Then you look at advanced stats. He has an enormous he uh, head start when it comes to win shares per 48. His net rating is better defensively he has a better offense and defensive rating than Morant to me it's like this excitement about the highlights is great for the game and it says so much about the future and the sky being the limit for Ja but we're looking at MB doing things that we're just tired of now because we've been talking about it all season and we get sick of saying the same thing so we find new things to say I also think some of the arguments that I'm hearing for Ja are taking the, the 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 narratives that we're disposing of in order to eliminate guys like, I don't know, DeMar DeRozan, and then using them to support a Ja argument. And Jay Williams is, is a part of that camp. Here's what he had to say on KJ and Max today. As of right now, I have him slightly ahead of Joel Embiid and Jokic. Wait, you and have honest, him right now if the season ended Slightly now. ahead, yes. Why? Number one, they have the third best record in the entire NBA. They've had their 43 and 20. They've had the second best record since the calendar year has flipped behind the Suns, right? That That's in the entire NBA. I'm not talking about the Western Conference. Entire NBA. Number-wise, he's on par with what everybody's doing. Jokic, Giannis, Embiid. Embiid's numbers are a little bit different, but still. And the narrative. Who in the right mind had the Memphis Grizzlies being at the upper echelon of the Western Conference at the beginning of the season? Okay, let me just quickly point out. All season long, when the Bulls had the best record and they were atop the East, it was like, well, they're not going to stay there. Okay, well, now they're in second, okay? So they, 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 they're still up there. And then you look at the argument of who expected the Grizzlies. Who expected the Bulls? People said DeMar DeRozan was the worst pickup of the offseason. That's true. 
I'm just saying, and listen, I, even as a homer and even as someone who looks at some of the statistics that DeMar's putting up and what he's done with incredibly important pieces missing, I think if you don't watch the Bulls regularly, especially early in the season, you missed how important it was for that starting lineup to be rounded out with Ball and Caruso. How much it changes what the offensive players have to do in those games to offset the defensive lags that occur because Vooch is now you know, singled out. We saw that so clearly last night because you don't have the disruptors and the pick-and-roll game in Ball and Caruso that make things difficult and force teams to get uncomfortable in the half-court set. It just doesn't happen anymore, which puts so much more pressure. The team is always pushing at the end. It is forcing DeMar DeRozan into being a savior over and over, the fourth-quarter king. Well, we're not talking about him in that way because we don't want to use that same argument for him that we're willing to use for Ja, and that's where it kind of is frustrating for me. That's some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. And, you know, you're exactly right. I remember before the season started when we were asking about some of the moves and some of our guests that came on didn't have the most flattering things to say Mm -hmm. about the roster construction for the uh, Bulls. And there was some conversation about maybe you were a little bit too hyped for it. And that has Mm -hmm. turned out to not be true at all. Who was right, Fitz? uh, You were right. Sarah was right. Look. And I think the point you made earlier that's an important one here is this is sort of what we do. Like, shiny new toy, everybody becomes obsessed with young players that are on the rise. Ja particularly fits a mold because he's built a little different. He plays a little Mm -hmm. different. All of it is fun to watch. It's different to watch. It looks stylistically like some players in the past, but it also looks like he's doing his own thing. I think when you combine all of it, it creates a little bit of the obsession that I am willing to admit that I am part of. It is absolute recency bias. For me, it's just a joy. Like there's a That's a, fun. Uh, it's I, super fun. <laughs> I watch a shot play and I smile. And that like that for me is what's really special about what's happening, obviously. Uh, that that's the good for me for the NBA. The bad is in Major League Baseball. They are at a standstill. Where do we go from here? We'll get to one of our favorite guests next to get an update and some insights. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Hello there. I'm Mark Robbins. The Baseball Players Union rejected the owner's latest offer this afternoon on a collective bargaining agreement. And the owners, in response, have promised and as promised, have canceled the first two series of the regular season for each team. So who's to blame? Is it the owners for not wanting to cut a bigger piece of the pie for the players? Is it the players for not being appreciative of what they have? ESPN baseball analyst Doug Glanville wants to blame a third party. It's history. You can blame history. (laughs) They've always had uh, this type of dynamic. I was a player for a long time and worked in the Players Association. And, you know, you have trust issues that sometimes compound what are, you know, complicated economic issues that keep changing over time. That's ESPN's Doug Glanville earlier here on ESPN Radio. There's top 25 college basketball being played, a good one underway in the Big East at halftime. Number 11, Villanova leading ninth-ranked Providence, 40-26. Again, that's at the break. Number 7, Kentucky hosting Ole Miss on ESPN and the ESPN app, and it's a Kentucky nine-point lead with seven and a half to go in the first half. In the NFL, Giants GM Joe Schoen, says he'll listen to trade offers for running back Saquon Barkley, while Packers GM Brian Gutekunst says not a single team has called him to inquire about trading for Aaron Rodgers. In the NBA tonight, you get the Rockets hosting the Clippers, Houston at home trying to snap a nine-game losing streak.
Okay, listen, I understand why we're playing a lot of Akon because of this MLB thing, but I sang this GD song for three hours last night after the show ended. And I was in company of friends who were like, please stop. And at every moment when my brain wasn't actively thinking of anything else, I just inexplicably would go, I got locked up. No! (laughs) So I'm putting a ban on Akon locked out. I don't care how long the lockout lasts. I know it's not going to last. Us playing this song. No. We're going to find something. We're going to find something else to play. I really feel like I'm going to start bribing the guys behind the glass to uh, continue no, to play every once in a while just to just, to, just, you know. just, just mix that and, and my, my other favorite, uh, The Stroke. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Brutal. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. I, I think the lockout is somehow making me even angrier than Akon. Great, great jam, by the way. Just it, It's a bit of an earworm. Uh, we, we found out today MLBPA leaders uh, agreeing unanimously not to accept MLB's quote-unquote final proposal. There'll be no deal on a new CBA agreement, so we are at... Uh, the first two series of the game of the season being uh, being canceled for sure today. That came across in a in a speech by Rob Manfred that was roundly panned. Uh, there was too much smiling for most folks, and there was a lot of posturing for public perception fits that just wasn't a fit with what we know about this. And and the one thing I will say, and we've talked about this a couple times, it does feel like some people are starting to pick up on the arguments uh, being being. Uh, pretty tough to back up, pretty soft on behalf of ownership. In, in maybe five or ten years ago, I think people were much quicker to blame players. I think we're starting to come around on that in baseball and otherwise. Yeah, well, I, I hope so because ultimately I think one of the, the important things that I constantly find myself reminding people is that even if the players take less money, it doesn't suddenly mean ticket prices are going to dip down. Like, it just doesn't work that way. So, you know, it's not like suddenly everybody's going to turn around and say, hey, guys, don't worry. We lowered our costs, so now we're going to make baseball more affordable for families. That's just yeah. not the it, way The it arguments are, are dumb and unfounded, and yet they tend to happen a lot. Uh, Jesse Rogers, ESPN MLB reporter who's been on this from Florida all along, is joining us here. Uh, Jesse, you know, we, we find out that the quote-unquote final proposal is not accepted by the union. Um, how did we get to this point? And was last night's push to meet until 2.30 something simply so that the owners could come out and say they tried hard, knowing full well that they had spent months of inaction? Yeah, I'll, I'll tackle that one first. I, I, I don't know their motivation, but I will say this. I didn't love their tactics. I didn't love uh, throwing everything at the union at the last minute here. It's kind of strange. Like, they set the deadline, so if anybody should be scrambling at it, it would be the other side. But the union didn't really react that that um urgent to the deadline because they didn't really buy it so it was the the side that actually set the deadline that started scrambling was really weird and maybe a little manufactured i didn't i didn't love it so the union's like no you can't throw all this at us and expect us to expect us to sign at the last second here and i I commend the union for that i don't love everything the union did over over the last few months and, and even into you know last week they kept on hammering on a couple issues the league had been telling them for for a year we're not interested in dealing with. So such a large disconnect is kind of how we got here. Um, mistrust, all the things you've heard about, they're all true. I, I, I saw it firsthand here for 10 days, talking to both sides daily. And, um, you know, there, there were, ended up being a lot of leaks and, you know, the usual stuff that goes wrong when a, when a negotiation goes south. And I'll, I'll say it, 
you know, once, and I'll say it a hundred times moving forward, it takes two to find an agreement. It takes two to, to, to uh, torpedo one. And I, I put blame on both sides. Um, having said that, I think the, the league obviously should have moved more in the union's direction. I think there's um, uh, no, no doubt about it. The case to be made is in that competitive balance tax. That has to move up in a, in a significant way because it's simple. If you are a team and an owner and you actually want to pay a player to play on your team a good salary, you should be able to do that without paying some exorbitant tax. Pay players. Don't pay taxes. And that's the bottom line. If the Pirates don't want to have a winner, that's the Pirates' problem, right? Um, Every team can spend more than it is. There's no doubt about it. So, to me, the winning argument is on minimum salaries and at the top on CBTs. And I think the union did a good job there. And the league just wouldn't move far enough. So, Jesse, what's the next step? Well, I think the league is going to slow play this a little bit. It becomes a, a lot more complicated moving forward because if and when they ever get a deal, the union's going to want full pay. They just are. They're going to want 162-game pay. Maybe they'll want to make up the games. <laughs> Maybe not. Either way, they want to get paid. They're going to want their service time because service time is about our – you know, all these things are part of the – dynamic now that that games are being canceled so i think the league's going to slow play it it's up to the union to push them it's up to the union to say we will we will come up there on thursday and present another offer to you and that's what has to happen i think there's going to be a, a cooling down period for a couple of days and then i think it's up to the union to push the league to get back to the table so again it's not all on one side the the players can have the uh, moral high ground moral high ground doesn't get you an agreement um but i think a little bit of a regrouping take a breath get a shower in. I mean, these guys have been at it for 10 straight days down here. Um, And then by the end of the week, I think they should be talking again. Jesse Rogers, ESPN MLB reporter, doing a great job for us on the ground here as the talks continue between MLBPA and the owners. You know, Jesse, one of the things that we often hear about in other sports when there are labor negotiations are the differences of perspective from the very, very rich and the middle class and the low end. We don't hear about that as much in baseball. We're certainly talking about those elements, but have you heard anything about the, a unified front from the players, the superstars talking to the middle guys, talking to the lowest paid? Are, are you hearing how they're discussing their approach to just how long they're willing to wait it out, knowing that some are more financially strapped if they miss more games? Yeah, well, I just literally walked out of a union press conference to, to call you guys, and boy, are they unified. They, they took like a team photo after the press conference just to <laughs> show there was about 20 players in there. And Max Scherzer and Andrew Miller were, were the guys that spoke for the players along with Tony Clark. And, you know, I talked to Max uh, afterwards. And think about this guy, um, and, and I don't agree with everything he says, but look, you can't deny that he's at the end of his career and has a $40 million paycheck waiting for him. He could really, you know, torpedo the younger guys and the guys making the minimum and say, let's go back and play. He's not doing that. Andrew Miller, 37 years old, he's not doing that. They are fighting for everybody, and I give them credit for it. Now, I disagree with them on one stance. They really want the 12-team postseason instead of 14. If they want more money for everybody, the 14-team postseason deal gets them more money, not just in the postseason. The league is willing to raise other areas, raise the minimum, raise money in other areas if they accept 14 teams. Isn't that maybe a, a posturing, though? Owners. Jesse, isn't that maybe not actually what they want? They're just using that as a sticking point? They're bluffing uh, on that? Not, not what the union wants or the league wants. 
what I, the players actually are fine with the expansion. They're just they understand that they need to use that as a bargaining chip. I don't think so. I don't think so because they were given a choice, fourteen or twelve, and the deal for twelve means less money overall. But I think Max, in particular, was worried about the competition. Like he doesn't want some crappy eighty-win team in there. And I, right. I, I, I give him credit for that. But he's, you know, it, it meant less money for his members. The last thing is they didn't like um, the format. They didn't like uh, the just the two best teams getting a bye and then waiting all week. So I get that. There were some competitive issues there, but it it still cost them some money to choose 12 teams over 14. Jesse, given what you know about both sides and where these proposals stand, by the time this thing is said and done, will what we end up with be worth the the damage it's done to the game? That's a really good question. I'm going to say yes, because first of all, it's, it's, it's a contract for five years. So after we get past this, the next four and a half years should be labor, you know, uh, free in terms of issues. Now they have to address on the field. And that's another area I, I sort of disagree with the players on. Look, there's no ulterior motive by the league when they want to make rule changes. Rule changes are for the game and for the fans. Pitch clock is for the game, for the fans. It's not like Manfred gets a kick out of, uh, you know, a pitch clock out there. There's a reason behind it. So the players pushing back on any of that, I disagree with. So um, eventually the game will be in a better spot, both economically and on the field, to answer your question. But I, I, no one can see the light at the end of the tunnel just yet. We're, we're right in the thick of it, right in the mud. And it's ugly. It's probably going to get even uglier when it comes to this back pay and all that other stuff. So it's hard to imagine the game in a better place six months to 12 months from now, but I'm still hopeful. Yeah, and Jesse, you get a little break here before they get back at it. That's uh, that's what it's yeah, going to be. Is, yeah, is... I mean, head head home, and then we'll see. We'll see if uh, they they start up in New York or, you know, the other thing is Arizona, where a lot of players are, and um, it's just hard to know where this is going to go. Um, you know, they were in a room for ten days and and, and didn't really come that close, even though there right. was progress made. So I'll follow oh, really it wherever quick. it goes. Yeah, really quick because yeah. we got to let you go. But does that mean, I mean, understanding that they were inactive for so long, but knowing that every day that passes now is a lost revenue because of games that must be canceled and potentially not rescheduled, is it more likely that there will be action on a regular basis, even if owners are willing to go to flag day or whatever day before they make a deal? I think so. But again, it won't be for a couple of days. But after that, I think there'll be more action. But I might be naive about this. One side or the other, meaning the owners, might long play this thing because yeah. you know they'll they'll get punitive and to pull stuff off the off the table. So I think there'll be action, but I'm not positive about that. Awesome stuff, Jesse. Really appreciate the insight. Thanks, Jesse. Absolutely, you got it. Take care. See ya. Jesse Rogers, ESPN MLB reporter. Follow him at Jesse Rogers ESPN to keep up to date on all this stuff. Coming up, find out why the WNBA handed out a league record fine and angry players took to social media today. It's next. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can follow us at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Go on and uh, answer our question about the young player in the NBA you'd like to start a team around. We'll get back into that, John Morant and the MVP conversation. But a quick WNBA segment here is there was a crazy story in SI today, really incredibly reported. Um, There was... Use of a private plane by the New York Liberty. 
at the end of last season that violated the WNBA's collective bargaining agreement. Uh, They argued, uh, those who complained, that the benefit of chartered flight was uh, an exception that was only offered to certain teams, and it gave a competitive advantage to the New York Liberty. They were fined $500,000. That is a record. It was originally floated at a million, but uh, they were able to talk them down. And at one point, there was even a potential discussion of ending the franchise as a punishment for that. I can't imagine that that was ever actually considered, but it was very seriously frowned upon by other teams. And fits the fine, the use of a private plane instead of commercial, uh, that's really not the story here. The story is the valuation of women's sports and their professional leagues and the pivot point at which we've found ourselves, where an old guard of owners, and this is true in the NWSL, where I'm an owner with the Chicago Red Stars, and it's true in hockey and it's true in basketball, the old guard has taken losses and their fear is of a a, a real investment, the likes of which we see in most startup type companies. And a new generation of owners coming in that look at this moment and look at the, for instance, the the sports labs, fan innovation project and other things that tell you data wise that women's sports are vastly underappreciated in terms of the investment that could go in and the money you could be making off of them if you resource them. And these new owners are saying, we want to spend more. We think that charter flight should be the norm. We th- and the Liberty got a three-year plan in place where they found someone willing to sponsor commer- uh, 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 jets for each team so that even the teams wouldn't have to pay for it. And that was rejected because those owners that voted against it worried that players would get used to it and then it would become part of the norm and they would have to fund it. And we understand that with the WNBA owned a large percentage by NBA owners and used as a means by which to get tax write-offs for losses instead of as a viable business option, there are so many conflicted interests within the same league that we end up here where a benefit to players that makes a better product and gets rid of a massive uh, public perception issue, which is the players constantly complaining about their commercial flights and otherwise, um, could be a sticking point instead of something that they all would agree is the right to move forward. I I think the biggest part about this is, number one, it shows how far we have to go. Number two, it also shows how complicated some of these issues are. Because, you know, when you read the headline and when I started reading the article, I kept thinking, okay, this is simple. Like, there's no way they shouldn't be flying private at at this point. You just think about sheer legroom for people that are tall and you think about what it means for recovery for athletes that, you know, this makes sense. Or delays and games getting canceled because Uh, of those delays. Yeah. And it it makes sense across the board. There was uh, funny for me. There was a moment reading the article, again, it's on Sports Illustrated, you should check it out, where Mark Davis, owner of the Vegas Aces and also of my beloved Raiders, uh, talked about the fact that when they were talking about when he came in, he thought, well, players should be paid more and they should be playing, they should be flying private. And that's where it really clicked for me, like, yes, they should be paid more, but he can't, when he comes in, just take over and say, well, we're going to do that because everything, as we know, Major League Baseball right now is collectively bargained. So when you actually see that this is a violation of their collective bargained agreement, then you step back and say, okay, well, how do you get everybody on the same page? Because WNBA ownership is fractured into uh, mm-hmm. different guards from different backgrounds. You've got to get everybody on the same page. And 
I think about how aggressive anybody is when they come into a new market or a new business and they say, well, I'm going to change this and I'm going to change this. And like, if you've ever watched Bar Rescue, watching people that have never owned a bar and do all of these things wrong, you know, and so there's a, like a fine line in the ownership process, but they got to get everybody on the same page and figure out how to wait, a way to give the athletes the treatment they deserve that makes the product better, that also makes the product feel more legit. Like that part's simple, but the solution isn't. Yeah. And listen, I think that if you're if you're digesting this story, I, I recommend everyone go read it on SI.com. But if you're digesting the story on the surface or even without knowledge of some of what goes on in the background, it's easy to just say, this is messed up. You should do this. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. But I will say as someone who's been in ownership conversations, I understand that what sometimes does happen is those new owners come in guns blazing, throwing money at everything without truly understanding viability and profits and investment. And they fold because they overextended themselves early, not understanding, particularly in women's sports, that it is a much more joint endeavor than, say, something like MLB, which we've been talking about. Right. You could be the Yankees and make tons of money and you could be the Orioles and the Orioles are going to survive even if they do everything wrong because of revenue sharing. It does not work that way in women's sports, especially in the more nascent ones that are still growing. You need competitive balance. You need successful franchise members. You need a successful league to grow, not just one or two successful teams. So you have to move in concert in a way that a lot of established men's professional leagues do not. So while I think this is an indictment of the old guard who are still unsure and not willing to accept that all of the data tells them, invest, 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 treat this like a startup. And also an indictment of those NBA owners, one of whom is quoted in this article saying that they they look at their WNBA team as a net zero and they proudly say that. Again, this is something we point out a lot, Fitz. In what other place do you hear any company proudly telling people that they lose money? It is only the WNBA because the system is set up so that they can be used to offset gains elsewhere. And it's 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 a problem that exists within the larger, essentially great idea of the NBA being a great supporter. But then you have to be much more transparent with the books in a way that they're not willing to at the WNBA. And frankly, they aren't willing to at the NBA either, where they often claim massive losses for NBA teams, which we know is not the case either, right? So if you're, if you're going to use those arguments that many people do that the WNBA isn't profitable, you're not actually diving deep into the numbers. And if you look at um, television ratings and everything else, things are on such a high right now that those old owners and those NBA folks who are looking at it as, as a, an item line instead of an opportunity um, need to be called out. But I think it's a little more complicated than just pay them and get them planes. Yeah, I, there is this balance, too, where you've got to find owners that uh, believe in the growth of the sport and the league overall. Like, this isn't Major League Baseball where you can have an owner just say, hey, I'm going to come out and lose a bunch of money and it won't hurt the sport. Like, that actually hurts the growth of everybody's investment. So at some point, all of the owners are going to have to figure out some of this old guard that doesn't want to put in money or sees it as a net zero. Should they still be part of the ownership group? Like, what's the commitment level? And if you're not prepared to make it, then find owners that are because everybody's got to be equally committed to the growth of the sport in this instance if they actually want the WNBA to continue to grow. I wish I could take you behind the scenes of some things going on in some other places and conversations that mirror that, but I can't. So I'll just leave it at that. Everybody go read that story. It's uh, actually a really fascinating moment for women's sports. And uh, uh, hopefully those smart folks that are looking to invest will will take the reins here. John Morant dropped 50 
two last night. Is he the best young talent in the NBA, or are you starting your team with someone else? We'll get into it next. We're going to get back into the unfortunate cancellation of at least the first two series of the MLB season and how baseball has gotten itself into this mess. But let's start with something a little more fun. And what is more fun right now than Ja Morant putting together a highlight reel in one game alone that's career stuff for anybody else in one game alone? Uh, And is the prisoner of the moment vibe around Ja going to fade a little bit or are we seeing an MVP campaign in the making and a guy who could be the brightest and best young talent in the NBA it's Spain and Fitz Sarah Spain Jason Fitz ESPN radio ESPN app Sirius XM channel 80 ESPN radio is presented by progressive insurance um quickly and we'll get to jaw uh, there's two stories that are um hitting the news wire today the Charlotte Hornets signing Isaiah Thomas to a 10-day contract and the Orlando Magic uh Markel Fultz having 10 points and six assists in his 16 minutes in his first game for Orlando first time he played in 14 months so I'm, I'm curious what people think Fitz I'm going to put it up uh at Spain and Fitz at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz by the last day of the NBA regular season so April 10th which of these comeback stories will be considered a bigger success statistically contributions to team etc Markel or Isaiah you got a guess I'm going Markel like you know I like maybe 14 months away forgave the yips and suddenly he comes back all of a sudden the player that everybody hoped he would be through some part of the process so like I'll go Markel with this great resurgence watch this suddenly bam ends up on a team gets a little bit of cash he's playing in the NBA next year look at that redemption story yeah, he had been uh, doing all right with Orlando um, before that ACL tear, and and the yips had sort of lessened in terms of being the the ha- the, the headline. He had um, he had signed an extension, and then and then the injury. So he's back, and I think building off of what we saw then uh, makes that probably a more believable story. Even though obviously. Um, Isaiah Thomas uh, at one point had an incredible streak and and played really well. I think uh, spending the last two seasons out of the NBA and not necessarily all because of injury make him a little bit more of a long shot. So I'm with you. I'm going Markel on this one. Uh, everybody's going John Morant, and it feels actually like wasn't it a week or so ago that we were doing this over Trey Young? Maybe not to quite the same extent, but <laughs> we certainly have our infatuations with explosive, charming. Uh, young players and Ja is putting together an impressive MVP campaign. His odds are getting better, even as we're able to acknowledge that guys like Embiid and and Jokic and DeRozan might have uh, statistically better numbers. But he's got the show angle, the showstopper, best ticket in town angle fits, and I don't think you can underestimate the influence that has on voters. Yeah, there is this element of shiny, new, fresh, like highlight driven that's just fun to watch. And, you know, also the other part of it, and, and we know this and with what we do, is sometimes it's just hard to cut through, right? Like there are so many stories and so many players and so many nights in the NBA. How do you resonate with everybody when it starts to come to the, the conversation of greatness? And the easiest way to do that is to be on every highlight package on every station all day, every day. And that's where Ja is right now. And, and like I said earlier, I think one of the things that really shook me last night, uh, you mentioned the the play, the long inbounds pass that he managed somehow to get a bucket out, out of at the end of the first half. And what was incredible about that is it took seconds before I was seeing that everywhere on Twitter. And that's there's just power to that. There's power to being able to put up the highlight that resonates, that hits, that people remember. Mm-hmm. And those those moments become suddenly that's that's equity in the new NBA. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, it's interesting, though, that you can have those plays from someone like Luca, and if you get used to them, they don't hit as much, even if they're maybe not that exact play. I don't know if we've ever seen that exact play from anyone, but think about what we've seen from Luca in recent years, the fadeaway game winners. Think about DeRozan, the back-to-back three-point game-winning shots at the buzzer. Um, think about Embiid and what he's been able to do without Ben Simmons at all. And I know that they have other talent there and the Sixers have been great, but the size and what he's doing at that size, I mean, we get used to it and then we kind of move on. And so I think it's interesting. We asked folks on Twitter, if you had to start an NBA franchise today with any player under 25, who you got? And I threw up Morant, Young, Luca, Zion, someone else. People hated on the Zion. The reason I put him on there is because if you'd asked that question not that long ago, a lot of people might have thought, that you wanted to build around him, uh, even those who had concerns about his body. By the day, it is getting tougher to argue that anybody would put their faith in Zion with the injuries and otherwise. But um, a lot of votes for John Morant, and most folks are saying John Morant, and some are saying it's not even close. But um, I did like this answer um, from at Lucas Hoops Poems. Luca was the best player in the world's second best league before he graduated high school and made the league's all decade team despite only playing in the last three years of the decade. I choose the prodigy. We do certainly have a bit more tape, even before he got to the NBA, of Luca as a professional basketball player holding his own even as a kid. And as far as a well rounded game and everything else, I think you've got a pretty decent argument despite Jaw's incredibly you know, highlight plays and his youth. Uh, that that Luke is battling pretty tough. Yeah, well, and that comes back to some of the conversations we were having going into the playoffs last year. Like you mentioned, Trey Young even a week ago, but uh, yeah. you go into the playoffs last year, and we were we've watched Luka Doncic single handedly make playoff series interesting. We've watched Trey Young single handedly go out and shut up Madison Square Garden. Right, like there are there are moments that I think are are, are really already cemented in the legacy of some of these young players, which is kind of crazy to say. Ja hasn't had that necessary that necessarily had that moment yet in the playoffs. But I think that speaks to part of why everybody's now in love with Ja. Like, Ja will mm-hmm. get into the playoffs this year. There'll be this this incredible watch party to see what he does every step of the way when he's eliminated. We'll have the same positivity about the future of Memphis that, frankly, we had not that long ago about the future of the Hawks. Turned out not to be great. And about the future of the Mavs, which <laughs> has not yet worked out. So, like, this is the way the cycle works. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we got some votes for other folks. Jason Tatum, Anthony Edwards, Evan Mobley. Um Scotty Barnes, Bam Adebayo, a lot of folks, I think, repping guys that they watch regularly. And I think, you know, that gets us back to the point that if you put together the kind of highlight plays that Luca and Ja and Trey with the shiver, I think if you put those together, you start to draw the fandom and excitement and enthusiasm of people outside of their own region and their own team. And that's how you make a true superstar in the NBA and, and Jaws certainly doing that. Here's, here's a couple of the names uh, that, that I didn't mention. Lamella ball with Charlotte is only 20 years old. Shea Gilgis Alexander. OKC is only 23. I think the rest of them on this list, um, I hit, gosh, it's wild to okay, just think but, about Zion only being 21 and we're already out, even though the upside could be so good if he could stay healthy. Yeah, but think about this. You said under 25, which is an important distinction because like Devin Booker's 25. Yeah. You know, and four so like, months. Yeah, I, he I just mean, missed it. <laughs> you know, so yeah, he should just barely missed the cut. But you think about like the young talent, and I know we've had this conversation a couple of times across ESPN over the last two years, but you're seeing an influx of young talent in the NBA that 
is dynamic. It's incredible. The question is, how do all of these young players develop? Because right now, you've got a huge list here, and the the reality is, are they all going to end up super teaming together and killing everybody, or do they end <laughs> up do they end up each going their own way and trying to make their own legacy separate of everybody? That's what's going to be interesting to me in seven or eight years about where we stand today with the twenty five and under talent. Fitz looking ahead always with that you know always looking ahead to the future of the game Uh, by the way right now speaking of future right now 64% got their money on Markel Fultz being a bigger success than Isaiah Thomas in those comeback stories keep an eye on how you guys voted there Um, like I said John Morant leading the way in terms of the young star you'd like to build around but Luca very very close ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average call or click today coming up how long will it be before we see baseball again and how will the league overcome this negative negative uh, public perception we'll discuss next it's Spain and Fitz I would just like to point out that uh, I was repeating his use of the phrase hibbity-dibbity. I did not introduce that to the conversation. I was simply mirroring Fitz's verbiage. I don't know. I mean, hibbity-dibbity, that seems I don't say hibbity-dibbity. I say bone. That is my go-to. We have very different styles when it comes to most things, uh, particularly that. Yeah, well, uh, that's that's probably true. It's Spain and Fitz. I meant talking about it. This is getting weird. It's Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, the big news of the day, of course, MLBPA rejecting MLB's quote-unquote final proposal. I'm not sure how you sit on your hands for 40-plus days, show up at 2 in the morning on the final day before regular season games are canceled, and then say, this is it! This is the last proposal! Uh, No CBA deal at the deadline, and now they will continue talking. There's going to be a break as uh, Players Association and some others head back to New York and other places. They're going to get back to it in a couple of days and fits. We now know not only is opening day off the table, but the first two series for teams have been officially canceled per Tim Kirkshin. And if you look at the final proposal from the league uh, delivered today, it was an increase from $25 million to $30 million in pre-arbitration bonus pool each year for the the deal. The U.S. wants to start with $85 million in the pool and go up by $5 million each year. So yes, they are $60 million apart when it comes to that. On the collective balance tax thresholds, this is what the MLB has sort of been using as a soft cap. The league's last offer remained the same as its previous one, which started at $220 million and was flat for three years before going up to 224 in year four and 230 in year five. The union wants to start at 238 and raise to 244, 250, 256, and end at 263. So again, they are you know, 18 million off from the very beginning and it goes from there. So very far apart when it comes to the core issues fits and the result for those who care about the details or care not at all about the details and just about whether they're getting their baseball is the same, which is no, you will not be getting spring training and you will not at the very least be getting the first two series of the season. 
Just once, I want somebody to come to the negotiating table with a final offer that's actually final. Like, maybe it's because they didn't say last and final. I've never understood why <laughs> right. make that uh, reiteration. But it, there is this spot here where everything that has happened that leaves us to where we are raises the question of how you fix it. And if you're, if you're Major League Baseball, if you're the owners, you're banking that the players are going to fold. And if you're the players, you, you have to just hope and pray you have enough solidarity to withstand whatever's going to come next. And, and that's why I think there's such a concern here uh, for me looking at it saying, is it going to be worth it? You know, something I asked Jesse Rogers that I think sometimes we have to think about in negotiation is if we're going to cancel a bunch of games, will the final deal that we get – be so drastically different for either side that will it will have been worth the damage that's being done. Now, Jesse said he believes it will be. I think that becomes an important part of what we have to focus on moving forward is now, if you're going to cancel games, make sure you get this right. Even if it hurts everybody's feelings in the process, make sure you get the final deal that everybody can stand up and say, yes, we cancel games because it made the game better by doing it. And if you end up short of that, if you end up canceling a bunch of games, losing paychecks, and then sliding back and, and not uh, not giving, or I should say giving in to your demands, then you did nobody any good. Well, and I think what's also difficult here is they're trying to come to an agreement with folks who have made a few too many public errors in terms of revealing their uh, their manipulativeness and, and revealing the ways that they are not in it for the betterment of the game or in a partnership with the players. One of those, of course, is the sort of, it feels like a throwaway but became a, a stark moment was when Rob, Rob Manfred referred to the World Series trophy as a piece of metal, right? right. The idea that there were teams who were amongst each other celebrating tamping down salaries for free agents by awarding a championship belt to the team that did it best. The idea that when players go into arbitration and a judge decides whether they or the, or the team, um, what the fair value is for them, that means that they and the team cannot agree, somebody else, an outside source, um, does it, that, that during those arbitration processes, the teams were colluding together to keep dollars down and awarding a fake championship belt to the team that did it best. Imagine walking into a room to negotiate, knowing that the people on the opposite side are basically assessing a soft cap that does not exist to prevent you, are allowing for tanking with revenue sharing that prevents a majority of teams from vying for the services of free agents, again, keeping their pay down. That your pay as a player has decreased for four straight years as revenues have soared and valuations have exploded. And walking into that room and having to know that they are absolutely lying through their teeth on most of the issues that they claim are necessary to keep the league afloat and successful. How do you negotiate through that then like that becomes the if you're the players and you can't trust anybody on the other side of the table and you're trying to figure out how to come to a deal that allows you to go out and earn your money but allows the game to continue to play like the hardest part for me is I don't know how you find middle ground with people that you have literally nothing in common but the fact that you need them to pay you to do this job like and they I'm need not, you to play <laughs> right and, and and that's the weirdest part of it because if you asked what they're protecting I think all of them would say they're protecting the game but they're protecting it from two very different angles. And and that makes negotiation so difficult because ultimately, if you've got two people sitting at the negotiating table, but what they want for the future of baseball is completely different, 
I don't know how you find middle ground. And that's why like, I, I keep looking at this saying, if you think, if, if any of us think that owners and players are going to find sympathy or empathy in what the other is feeling, that's just impossible here. So th- that's why I think it feels like the divide gets bigger and bigger and bigger as we start this process. I completely agree. It's Spain and Fitz, by the way, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And if you've sort of been eyes glossing over, as you've heard people across the network talking about all this, I again recommend Jeff Passan's piece, Inside the Self-Inflicted Crisis, Boiling Over as MLB's Lockout Deadline Arrives. It's from two days ago. It sort of anticipated what we're seeing now, so it is not super dated. But it really lays out how we got here. And one of the things that's come up in conversations, even a couple years ago when we looked ahead and saw this date looming and had a feeling it would happen was that there was a a couple generations of the MLBPA becoming the strongest union in all of sports this was in the 60s and the 70s and fighting for itself and being willing to take sacrifices in that moment to make the players in the game most most successful and unfortunately what happened is about 25 years of labor peace and about 25 years of complacency from players who did not understand the fight that was required to get them to where they were and that allowed them to not fight for the more recent negotiations where they got absolutely steamrolled. And so I think that that's difficult for previous generations to accept is understanding the sacrifices they made in the moment for the future and the way that the current players have not yet been able to do that. And this might be a moment where they have to stand up and prove it, even taking the losses that is are, are, are so difficult to stomach because otherwise the leverage continues to slide and it feels almost uh, impossible to get back. Not to mention the ego from the owners, knowing that, frankly, they got owned by the players in negotiations a generation in that generation, right. not wanting to let that happen again. Like, ego becomes such a distraction in this process. You don't say. <laughs> Tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Fun one today. Dominique Foxworth talking to Pablo about the Combine. Go check that out. Speaking of football, it's mock draft season. Mel Kuyper Jr. going to talk about his latest next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN. I can't even do it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. We're joined now by Mel Kuyper Jr., ESPN senior NFL draft analyst. And like everybody else, I was consuming every ounce of his newest mock that's out there on ESPN.com. Mel uh, a little surprised because I, I feel like I've seen a lot of mocks that have Evan Neal going first overall. You went in a different direction. What are you looking for in these offensive linemen? Yeah, I think, you know, you look at it, just I had uh, you know, Aiden Hutchinson in Mach 1.0 going one, but you think about the pass rush ability of teams in the NFL and getting after the quarterback, and you got a franchise quarterback potentially in Trevor Lawrence. That offensive line was a disaster. Now, do they bring back Cam Robinson? If they don't, then you go that route. They have Walker Little, who was a second-round pick last year out of Stanford, who they like. But when you get a chance to get, uh, you know, Icky Ikonwu, uh, you got you got to go for it. Ikonwu is a kid who was a dynamite, destructive run block could pass blocker last year. This year, he was phenomenal in every area, and I think that's what made him the guy who was right there with Neil. And when you talk to you guys, your friends in the NFL, you try to build a consensus, as you guys know, for a mock draft, and it was, uh, you know, Ekwanu who got the edge. So for right now, prior to the combine, I'll go with the NC State offensive tackle number one overall. Mel, so much conversation about the quarterback class not being strong. What is the position that you see the, the most potential successful NFLers, maybe even the most pro bowlers in the future? 
I think wide receivers is, is good. I think I think that position has depth. Six first rounders. I love Calvin Austin the third out of Memphis in the second round, a four three guy who was a phenomenal receiver, great punt returner for Memphis. He had nine catches and a punt return for a touchdown against Mississippi State, who by the way has two really good corners. Sky Moore, very underrated receiver at Western Michigan, one of the most explosive receivers in this draft. Great after the catch. He'll be a steal if he's available in the third round. And then we go even down the line to Kyle Phillips will be a Hunter Renfro type slot receiver. Christian Watson brings great length out of North Dakota State. So I would say wide receiver. And I also think defensive tackle. I mean, you go down to Noah Ellis out of Idaho, I think is very underrated. Neil Farrell Jr., LSU. I looked at tape of Matthew Butler just the other day. Love what I saw him at Tennessee. And we're not even talking about Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis at Georgia and Logan Hall Houston at the top and Perry and Winfrey, Oklahoma. So I would say, Sarah, wide receiver and defensive tackle provides a lot of talent at the top and a lot of depth overall. Everybody likes to yell about positions you aren't supposed to take high. Kyle Hamilton, though, (laughs) is special, and he's a safety. So, Mel, how how do you sort of balance that? He's unique. Uh, he's 6'4". You don't see that. Uh, the range, the athleticism, the versatility. I mean, it's the kid at eight career interceptions. Now, he did have the injury at that shortened the season, uh, that injury on October 23rd, the knee. But, uh, you know, just a dynamic player. You can play him deep. You can play him up. Uh, he's he, he got in a blink. He's going from point A to point B. Uh, I think he's perfect for the Jets. And remember, they got be, to beat Josh Allen. Uh, they got to beat Justin Herbert. They got to beat Joe Burrow. Look at all the great quarterbacks in the AFC. And to have a guy like, like uh, Kyle Hamilton, would be a big benefit to that defense. Mel Kuyper Jr. with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. As we hear about these coaches skipping the combine and, and you wonder if it still has the same value, are there any players that you're looking at specifically in this draft that you think will lose out if folks don't show up and see them? They have this big you know, leap that they can make if they perform well at the combine. Yeah, I think so. It'll be interesting to see. I don't until they get there. You see, they're they're going to go for the medical and they'll go for the interviews, which are really important. Uh, now the testing will take place, but then take place at the combine. It's going to take place place at a pro day. So you got to work out at some point in terms of running, testing, and all that. But the medical and the interviews, they'll all go to the combine for that purpose. But I'm waiting to see. I think uh, you know, you look at intriguing guys, Derek Stingley Jr. to to come off an injury, to do very little the last two years after having a great 2019 campaign. I want to see him. The guys I just mentioned uh, there's two receivers sky Moore and and certainly calvin austin the third from memphis could run a four three so i'm really anxious to see what he does then you want to see accurate heights what is drake london is he six four six five uh, all those things that's not going to change anything once they're in the nfl who the heck cares right but for me and for todd and all the guys that evaluate in the nfl it is stuff that's interesting it's not going to determine a lot but uh, you certainly want to see measurables on guys that are coming out as underclassmen because up until this point we don't have any of that we're talking to Mel Kuyper Jr. Mel, the top quarterback off of your board this year in this mock right now is Kenny Pickett to the Washington Commanders. Uh, but this is not a great quarterback class in the eyes of some. Where would Kenny Pickett have ranked in last year's draft amongst the quarterbacks? Bottom, bottom. But remember, he was coming off an ankle injury. Jace, last year he was not healthy. He only threw 13 touchdown passes. His completion percentage wasn't impressive. He didn't look very good with the ankle. He was hobbling around out there. He couldn't move. He couldn't plant and throw with any velocity. So he would have been probably a fifth, sixth round pick last year. Okay? Now he's going to be maybe the first quarterback taken. He went from 61% to 67%, 13 touchdown passes to 42. First seven games, he was 23 touchdowns, one pick. Mark Whipple loved the kid and loves the kid. And I talked to Mark about him. Mark Whipple coached in the NFL with Ben Roethlisberger. He's a guy that, that speaks volumes and speaks very highly about uh, about Kenny Pickett. Thinks he can be a really good quarterback. I think he could be a Derek Carr type. So, uh, to me, he's if he's available for 
for Washington at 11, uh, you know, certainly it'd have to be a, a possibility, a strong possibility. Mel, is there a team like last year's Bengals who's going to be facing that important dis- decision of a of a Jamar Chase versus Penny Sewell type situation? Do you do you have a team on in your sights that you think uh, is is going to have to make that really tough decision between two spots of need? Sarah, great question. Uh, I, I thought about that when I did the mock, and I, br- I thought about Cincinnati, who you think, okay, Penny Sewell, Jamar Chase. I think the Giants are kind of in that situation, needing help on the offensive line, but could be staring a couple defensive players, Kayvon Thibodeau, the great pass rusher, and Devin Lloyd, the great all-around linebacker at Utah. Do they force an offensive lineman, or do they just take the best players on the board at positions of need? It's not just, and get an offensive lineman early second round that can really help them. Uh, you know, and then you think about Cincinnati. They're back needing offensive of lineman, but they could go free agency. You know, Armstead's out there from New Orleans and others. So do they take a corner or do they take an offensive tackle? Uh, Bernard Raymond, uh, who I thought would be a possibility. I didn't go into Miami. Two picks ahead of Cincinnati. So if the right tackle's not there, maybe they go corner. So I think, yeah, there could be. The Bengals will be interesting to watch. They attack the offensive line through free agency or the draft. They don't need one. They need two or three offensive linemen. And whether the Giants do as well uh, is going to be really interesting to see. Follow him on Twitter, at Mel Kuyper, ESPN. Be sure to check out the First Draft Podcast just to listen to, to him argue with Todd. It's always a, a great time. <laughs> uh, Mel, we appreciate your time, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks, guys. Never ends with McShay, but I had fun with you guys. <laughs> Thanks, Mel. See you guys. Hey, Sarah. Yeah. Who wins here with this Bachelor thing? The whole thing with the Bachelor? You've been watching it? Oh, man. I think we all lose, Mel. I just don't think this season is up to up to snuff. I, I, I feel I feel like he is weak-minded, and he's going to get himself in all this trouble with uh, you know sleeping with all the gals at once. Um, and I think there's been right. too much catfighting. I think they casted women who were a little bit too emotionally immature, Mel. Don't you think? Right. Right, I agree, and I, I, I got to believe it's either Sarah or Susie, right? I mean, Susie or, or Rachel, right? Rachel or Susie. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, they say this, this that nobody knows. Nobody knows who wins, which, I mean, is it, I, think, I guess he maybe goes through the process and nobody agrees nobody. To, right. to be engaged, I guess. Right, because they all might realize that he's a dud. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the deal is with somebody. I mean, he's all over the place. And, and then I, I like how you don't know if you love somebody, but then all of a sudden you love three of them. Right, <laughs> right. I, I mean, uh, like I said, like I, say, I think I, the casting I'm department you, really failed us on both accounts, both sides of this one. Who knows? But enjoy it, Sarah. You <laughs> too. You, you too. Fun. You guys take care. Listen, I just want to say, I want to get out ahead of the Menchies. I, I, he's the dud. I, I actually like a couple of the girls that are the finalists. I'm just a little bit concerned about, you know, they just spent way too much time on the drama between the gals. And I, again, I don't know if they're emotionally mature enough, but the girls are great and fine. The women, actually, they're not girls. Listen, I'm just digging my hole deeper. I think he's the problem. Clayton's the problem. Uh, the real the real takeaway here is maybe I should try this whole Bachelor thing. I think it's going to be a, a success. Right, like, right. Also, yeah, yeah. The, the show, show it's only on like season eleven. I mean, also, I just want to point out now that Mel's gone, I didn't want to make him feel bad, but I did not get to watch last night's episode, so what? he absolutely spoiled that one of them went home for me. Uh, not cool, man. Oh, that's amazing. Spain and Fitz brought to you by my computer career training for a better life. Uh, which I, I got nothing. I got no segue that's going to get us from The Bachelor. You know what? This guy that you're talking about, whose name I don't know, might be the MVP of The Bachelor, but who's the MVP of the NBA? Is it a two-man race? We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. No love between baseball players' association and owners. 
No deal today, so at least two series canceled. We will continue to keep you updated on all of that. MLB Social just released uh, the letter version of what Rob Manfred said today. If you want to experience the magic and excitement of that all over again, written form, uh, get after it. Uh, we started the show by talking about that and about Ja Fever. Ja Morant literally taking our network by storm, not only in, in the sense of highlights dominating, rightfully so, all the shows today, but fits a lot of people seemingly changing their MVP votes in part as a result of the, what is it, 98 points he scored in the last two games? Which, honestly, <laughs> decent argument. I'll give you that. And putting together the highlights that make it easy to package it all up and sell him. But Joel Embiid still with the best odds at 105. Jokic, 300. Giannis, 500. John now at 1,200, tied with DeMar DeRozan. And then Curry, Booker, and Doncic after that. Um, I... I think prisoner of the moment here, and I need to see more from Ja, and I need that Grizzlies team to still uh, stay in the mix in the West. Um, are you as convinced as I am that we're going to see some incredible game-ending highlight reel type plays from some of the other candidates, and the narrative will shift once again, which is something we saw uh, just a couple games ago with DeMar DeRozan as he was breaking records that were set by, you know, Wilt Chamberlain in the 19-whatevers, you know? I mean, it feels like we shift the conversation and have something new to talk about, and that, that might be what's happening with Job. Well, I, I think so much of this has to do with what was expected of the Grizzlies, right? And so we sort of become infatuated with, with what's new and different. I, we did that a little bit last year with the Suns on their rise, right? And it, it's, it catapulted Devin Booker, which turned out to be the right thing. It, it, we've started talking about him more in a different echelon of the league, and I think that was the right thing. As we look down the end of the season, though, I, I guess my curiosity is what's going to happen with the Grizzlies and their seeding because right now they're only a game back of Golden State for the two-seed in the West, which is pretty remarkable to say. If they're able to keep themselves in that conversation throughout the course of the end of the regular season, it's going to be because Ja does incredible things. If we live in a world where the Grizz end up with a two-seed, I have a hard time thinking that it won't go to Ja. I'm not, and I'm not sure it shouldn't go to Ja at that point because of what they've accomplished and because of his greatness in all of that process. Yeah, and I guess the problem is what we always end up coming down to as we get into the nitty-gritty for this award, which is the semantics of what a most valuable player means. We know that it's always going to be a player on one of the top teams, right? We, we abs You could be insane, and if your team is not top, I don't know, five or six or seven, you're not going to be in the mix. But what we don't understand usually when we get into this is whether we're valuing the player in terms of where his team would be without him or we're arguing uh, 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 who is the best player in the league, right? Yeah. Because right. we did that with Jordan and LeBron year after year. They would have won every year if it was just about best. So is it the elevation of the Grizzlies that Ja provides? Would you argue the same for DeMar? I know that there are other elements, but most of those elements added in the offseason um, aren't playing. You know, they had Zach Levine, they had Vooch, they had other pieces, and it didn't amount to a team that was contending. You've got a start to now top one or two team in the East with DeRozan leading the way. I mean, well, mid-range brilliance like we haven't seen in a while. Think about, though, what we say all the time, like in, in the college football season. You're better off taking your loss early than late, right? you got to be playing well at the end of the season to go up the rankings and get more consideration. Like I think part of what's been interesting for the Bulls is that 
the Bulls started off really strong, and we've seen so much. And you're right, they've they've survived injuries that I didn't think they'd survive. And and if you go back to the way the roster was built, there were people at the time that doubted it. If you think back to the injuries, there's been people several times that have said, well, the Bulls are going to fall off. I feel like every time we have an extra, right. they say the Bulls are going to fall off. And you're right, they haven't. But what we're seeing right now is such a meteoric sort of – rise for the Grizzlies late in the year where it feels like he's playing job playing so dynamically right now in a way that I don't know that we were paying attention to at the beginning of the year so it's almost like he's peaking at the right time which is oversimplification I I, I think in my mind because of the prisoner of the moment aspect of it which I'm really like I'm the guy that walks into a you know convenience store and sees a you know, a water that has a different packaging on it. And suddenly I'm like, oh, I got to try that, even though I've had it a thousand times. Like, I'm that guy. <laughs> you, you, anything new. And I'm like, oh, I got to try that donut. So I understand, like, that's that's part of the flaw to how I view things. I, you've made a really interesting and compelling point for DeMar DeRozan. And through all of that, we haven't even talked about Embiid, who has really been the reason the Sixers are where the Sixers are. I mean, th- this there have been a million opportunities for the Sixers to fold, and they have never just tucked their tail between their legs and fallen apart, and that's because of Joel Embiid. So as they go through the end of their season, it, it might be the, the, the fact that we're a little bored with talking about Embiid, but he's still clearly the MVP in some of these conversations. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm – Fighting on behalf of DeMar for a number of reasons. Like, this is a team that hasn't made the playoffs since 16-17. It won fewer than 30 games three years in a row from 17-18, 19-20. They won 31 games last season, and now they're already 39-22. and 22. They've, they've, you know, he's he's been incredible in terms of statistics. I'm arguing just to, you know, keep the keep the conversation alive. I really think Embiid is the one who's put up the best numbers for it. I also think, you know, we talked about this with Jokic. Like, he doesn't get enough credit. The style of play is not as perhaps explosive as some of the others. And it's a team that doesn't get watched in its own market because of the arguments between Altitude and Comcast. So is that part of the reason that Jokic, despite having better numbers than last year when he was MVP, isn't getting the same conversation? Again, though, I think it goes back to we like to have something new to talk about. We, we don't want to get high on Jokic again and have the same conversations we had last year, the same arguments. We want to argue about new people, and that, to me, is why it feels like it's likely going to end up, same goes for Giannis, it's likely going to end up with us arguing Embiid versus Morant, unless Morant steps back a little and is still fantastic, but isn't drawing the same sort of excitement that he is right now. But is there some part of us that also, to the point of what we love, we just love big personalities that, you know, yeah. are, are easy to like you start looking at this list and I'm thinking about the guys you're talking about. And when you talk about Embiid, uh, when you talk about Giannis, when you talk about Ja, you're talking about you talk about Steph, you're talking about personalities that are so easily defined. Right. Like that, that from a mile right. away, you, you know exactly who they are. Like DeMar's not that guy in some ways. So, you know, I, I wonder how much uh, Jokic isn't that guy in some ways. So I wonder how much that plays into it, that they're, they're maybe not as much the, the billboard, so they're not as much the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think that's a huge part of it. Um, and I think that's why it'll be interesting when the campaigning begins. Um, not that it hasn't already, but the real push, because, um, you know, I think – and and perhaps more interesting is what will continue to transpire with with James Harden because we haven't even mentioned that Joel Embiid's odds and likelihood of winning could very well take a hit even if the team is thriving because James Harden could just steal some of those numbers. Yeah, what's interesting too is like 
Harden is such a wild card in this year, right? It could it could steal some of his thunder. Or if we get the best of Harden and Harden is suddenly like cooperative and everything, are we going to find a way to give Embiid the credit for that and suddenly he becomes right. even more? Like I just don't know. I don't know what happens next. Like I feel like I'm watching one of those YouTube's or one of those Netflix shows where like the cliffhanger is everything with Harden, and I have no idea where it's going to turn to. But that's what keeps us watching everything that Embiid does. I, it, like it'll be interesting to see. If he gets more shine. Also interesting, Sarah, like it should be noted you've been a champion because you're hanging out in Arizona. Like, uh, but but you get the rest of the week off. Like, I do. Have you you decided what you're going to do with no baseball? Um, You know, it's hard because I've already destroyed my body so hard in the first weekend I was here that uh, I'm like, maybe I should (laughs) maybe I should treat it a little bit better. But the real vacation starts tomorrow when I don't have to worry about prepping for the show and and keeping my voice, uh, whatever the hell it is right now. Um. Yeah, we have some plans. We got, you know, some top golf. We got a boat trip. We got some uh, bars today. Got in some really good hiking. Going to go uh, hiking again on Thursday. Um, you know, lots of lots of good stuff. I got to catch up on The Bachelor now that I know who got eliminated. Thanks a lot, Mel. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. So right, like the, the hiking thing feels like exercise. Why are you exercising? It is. It is exercise. Uh, uh, if you remember, Fitz, I'm climbing the Grand Canyon in a month. So I got to oh get. Oh my god! I, I forgot get that. that. Yeah. Got to get that body in shape for that. Um, no, but so far I've had a group of like four or five of us, and right now we're in Airbnb, Airbnb, and then starting tomorrow the big Heckler crew comes in town. My husband's website, the Heckler that runs the big spring training trip every year. This is year 16 for him throwing it. No baseball. So he had turned into more of a travel agent trying to get a crew of like 35 to 40 of us filled with activities without baseball games right in the middle of the day. Can we just admit that, like, he has, the, uh, like, he's a saint at this point. To even yeah, be going he's a champion among like, men. I mean, first of all, he's married to me, so. Well, uh, he, you said it, I didn't. Oh, praise to him.